This is Clutch Fans. And by the way, shout out to the Clutch fans. You're listening to the Clutch Fans Podcast, an open conversation for Houston Rockets diehards. Houston Rockets is unbeatable. I'm ready to get on Clutch fans. Now, here's your host, the man who would have drafted Harold Miner over Robert Ory, Dave Hardesty. It is July 1st, and the NBA free agency period is underway officially. This is what we've been waiting for. The Houston Rockets have put themselves in a very good position. Uh, moving forward here, it looks like they can get cap room here. Uh, Daryl Morey and Kevin McHale both headed out to Philadelphia first um, to meet with former Rocket Kyle Lowry, and they are meeting on tomorrow on Wednesday with Carmelo Anthony. So this is about to be a crazy period of time here. I'm joined by David Weiner. You know him as Bema Thug on the board. And David, man, thanks for joining me. This is a great time. Happy free agency, Dave. <laughs> so what you know, going in here, obviously we've we we've talked about LeBron over the last month. Uh, we've talked about Carmelo. We've talked about a Kevin Love trade. Uh, what are you hoping for? What what do you see happening here um, in in the next week or so? Um, what I'm hoping for is that LeBron, Carmelo, and Bosch all take the league minimum and sign just as, as free agents and we still keep our cap exception. But uh, no, it, I think as far as things within the realm of, of reality, uh, I think the Rockets would like to get a major free agent like Carmelo Anthony. Um, I, I seriously doubt that we have a legit shot at LeBron. It sounds like he's going to resign with Miami, but, uh, you know, either adding Carmelo or maybe, as we may talk about a little bit later, uh, making a, a play for Kevin Love, I think one of those two scenarios would be, would kind of be the the dream scenario for this offseason. You know, and it appears that Carmelo, I mean, I think you're right about LeBron that, you know, it certainly looks like he's working with Miami to improve that, that team. Carmelo, they're planning a big pitch on Wednesday what has to happen for the Rockets to have enough cap room to make him an interesting offer? Um, well, like you said, the Rockets have a, a lot of cap flexibility. Um, they have a lot of non-guaranteed contracts. Uh, they already have a deal uh, to move Omer Ashik to New Orleans for a pick, so they're not taking salary there. My guess is they have a move lined up to deal Jeremy Lin without taking much salary back, if any. Um, so I, they can open up anywhere from 17 to 19 million and still keep the core. Uh, in fact, I mean, they keep their entire starting lineup from last season in place. And I think, you know, as the, I believe it was in the Chronicle last night about the pitch to Carmelo on Wednesday being in large part that, hey, come here and join a contender. We have this core already in place. It's a 54-win team. Come join that, and we'll be contending for championships the next several years. So um, while 
it will be a little difficult to get all the way to Carmelo's max salary. He's kind of one of these super max guys that I think his max salary is about $22.4 million. I think they're banking on him taking a slight pay cut in order to, to keep this core intact. Another guy we have to talk about is Kevin Love. I mean, this is a guy who, it by all accounts, is going to get traded here eventually. He doesn't uh, intend to stay in Minnesota. It's, he's on borrowed time here with, with just a year left on his contract. There have been reports that he's heading to Golden State or that you know Minnesota wants Clay Thompson in a deal. Golden State not quite offering him, or they were or they weren't. Um, it seems that Golden State has an upper hand. But personally, I was encouraged by some of the reports uh, about him not being willing to sign an extension with teams like Cleveland uh, and Phoenix just because the market needs to be very small, uh, limited amount of teams that he would re-sign with for Houston to really have a chance to be able to put forth the best package uh, for Minnesota to bite on a deal. So the Rockets, you know, what do they have to offer in a Kevin Love trade in your view? Well, I know the asset that that, uh, Minnesota would most want would be Chandler Parsons, but I think that's highly unlikely. Uh, I mean, now that Chandler's a restricted free agent, uh, he, you know, the Rockets can't push him to another team if he doesn't want to go there. I think the only way that that Chandler gets included in a trade is if Minnesota bowls him over with a free agent offer that's too rich for the Rockets' blood and they want to include him in a sign-in trade. But I would say that's highly unlikely. I think I don't think the Rockets are seriously considering doing that. I think the addition of Kevin Love would be to a Rockets team that are that that will still have Chandler on it. Uh, as far as other assets, um, I think the two biggest assets that the Rockets I think would be offering would be uh, the New Orleans pick they just got for Omer Oshik, uh probably Terrence Jones who uh, would swap places as, as starting power forwards with Kevin Love. Uh, maybe Donatus Mathieunis, uh, perhaps the draft rights to Clint Capella, who they just took in the draft the other night. Um, the Rockets have all their own future first-round picks, so they can offer one or more future first-round picks. Uh, they have several foreign prospects uh, besides Capella, such as uh, Sergio Yol or Costas Papanicolaou, who are highly regarded foreign players uh, for whom the Rockets have exclusive draft rights. Uh, so you combine all of those or most of those, and you can get a fairly compelling offer. The question is whether Minnesota would view a package of future assets more highly than what Golden State seems to be offering or will likely end up offering a, a very good young player in Clay Thompson and a uh, large contract but a good player in David Lee. Uh, I, you know, I've heard rumblings that Glenn Taylor, the owner of the Timberwolves, is very interested in winning now, and if that's really their priority, it would be tough to beat the Warriors package. You know, I'm glad you brought up the Oshik trade. I know we're we're bouncing around here um, quite a bit. I I got to tell you, and just confess, I was stunned that they were able to do so well on two fronts. One, get somebody to completely take on the contract for nothing as far as uh, contracts coming back. That that alone was a win for the Rockets. Um, and, and, I, and I did expect them to get something uh, small in return. But to get a draft pick from a team that you would think uh, is a good bet to be a lottery team, despite the fact that they hope to make improvements, um, they are in a brutally tough conference. 
And to have that pick only be protected one through three and for the Rockets protected 20 through 30, um, just a fantastic, you know, guarantees that it will be between four and 19 if they do receive it next year. Um, I just was blown away that Daryl Morey was able to acquire uh, that good of a pick while still unloading the salary, uh, Oshik. So it was just a win on two major fronts, really all three, depending on the route that they go. Um, and it makes them a player for a type of deal like they got with James Harden. Oh, yeah, no, completely agree. Um, I, I, too, was very surprised that they got a pick that, that was that good given the, the protections on it, both downside and upside protections. You know, there were rumblings last year that the Rockets were asking for two or even three first-round picks for Oshik, which was a large reason why he never got traded last season. So, you know, the media seemed to paint Daryl Morey as kind of a, a cuckoo bird for, for wanting so much for Oshik, and I think this is at least somewhat vindicates him. I think it, now that the Rockets are in potential cap-clearing mode, I think he's more open to settling for what he got, um, which was more than, frankly, I thought they were going to get from a standpoint of not taking any salary back. And, again, that, that pick, much like the, the Kyle Lowry pick uh, that they got from Toronto, could be the centerpiece of a bigger trade later, whether that is the centerpiece of a Kevin Love trade or some other trade that comes out of left field that none of us have even thought about yet, whether that happens in the next two weeks or if it happens next February. I will say also, I think it's a good deal for New Orleans as well. They're going to have a very formidable uh, front court, and they're going to be fun to watch. But again, just on the benefit of the fact on how much it could benefit the Rockets, I mean, one injury to Anthony Davis and that team is in serious trouble. Um, And so that's, again, you know, a a reason to think that that trade could be uh, or that pick could be a very lucrative one. Right, and don't discount the the downside protection of of a top 19 protected that um, while I'm sure there was a lot of negotiation over that, that specific number between uh, the Rockets and the Pelicans, given the the relative strength of the West over the East, uh, for instance, the Dallas Mavericks were the eighth seed last year in in, in the West. They ended up with the 21st pick of the draft. So I think what the Rockets are banking on with that nine top 19 protection is that if the Pelicans make the playoffs, that there's a good chance that uh, they could pick later than 19, and that will ro- then the pick will roll over to 2016. I don't think we've heard what the exact protections are in 2016 and, and, and afterward, but uh, I, I think they, they like that aspect as well, that if the Pelicans make the playoffs, there's a good chance that rolls over the next year and could be a lottery pick in 2016 rather than, a mid to late 2015 pick. You have an interesting theory on this because we've, we've talked about it. I was thrown off by the fact that, you know, the Rockets, it was reported they were going to be sending $1.5 million in cash in that Oshik trade. Um, and they had about $1.5 million left um, to give until July 1, which is, is today. Um, they ended up using that cash in the draft uh, to acquire the 53rd pick from Minnesota to draft Alessandro Gentile, that threw me off. Because if cash is really going to be in this deal and it can't happen until July 10th, that eats into the 3.3, 3.4 million that they can use 
for the year in cash, and you believe or you would think that they're going to need that full amount uh, in a Jeremy Lin trade. What were your thoughts when you know you saw the Rockets use that cash uh, instead on the draft and knowing that the Oshik trade wasn't going to happen until uh, probably July 10th? Um, well, it, my first reaction on the Oshik trade was, oh, I sure hope they can kind of divide this up into two trades where they can use their 2013-14 cash allotment for some side trade, maybe for a non-guaranteed Pelicans contract like Luke Babbitt or someone or Melvin Eli, and then do the Oshik trade July 10 and not have to use the 2014-15 cash allotment. My guess, my assumption would be that uh, either they ran it by the league office or maybe explored it and came to the conclusion that uh, uh, league office would probably call shenanigans on that and um, not let them do it, trade $1.5 million for a guy they were going to waive two days later. So um, while I would assume that at least got explored, I'm guessing it wasn't going to fly with the league, so they they basically had to use their uh, part of their allotment for next season. Um, although, you know, looking at this trade, only only having to put 1.5 million into uh, to Oshik and getting a pick like this, it kind of at least gives me renewed hope that um, you know the 1.8 million that would be left might be good enough to, as part of a Lynn trade to facilitate moving that contract. So. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful in that regard. Uh, another aspect that uh, you know some people are not necessarily paying attention to is that right at this very moment, if the New Orleans Pelicans do nothing else, they cannot complete the Omer Oshik trade. They don't have the cap room to take Oshik's salary. So uh, I think there will be a move once the July moratorium ends uh, where the Pelicans are going to move salary, whether that's uh, a big trade for moving out someone like Eric Gordon or Ryan Anderson, or it could be something smaller. I think the the numbers I've looked at, depending if the cap comes in right around where it's projected at, which is $63.2 million, I think the almost exact amount that the horn the sorry, I keep calling the Hornets, the Pelicans – need to move out to create enough space for Oshik is the salary of Austin Rivers. So it, if if there's not a much bigger trade made by the Pelicans come July 10, uh, look for Austin Rivers to be moved out maybe for a future pick. I want to talk a little bit about Kyle Lowry, somebody obviously Rocket fans are extremely familiar with, uh, we know quite well. Um, and frankly, uh, Daryl Morey is no stranger to getting a point guard, letting him go, and bringing him back. I have to admit, though, I am a little surprised um, that this is their first – this is the first guy that they're going after, or at least the the midnight pitch that they're making. Uh, granted, obviously, there's nothing to do with Kevin Love. He's not a free agent. Carmelo is Wednesday. So it just shows that Kyle Lowry is at least fourth on their list. But I, I am surprised. I mean, this Patrick Beverly was – second team all defense they can definitely upgrade uh, over Beverly and, and Kyle Lowry would be that but it just doesn't strike me as the biggest need um, what were your thoughts on Kyle Lowry does that seem like the best uh, use of, of cap room to you um, I mean the, the best no but a very very good one I think and I've always been a Lowry fan um, I 
was begrudgingly accepting of of, of moving him because I knew that pick was going to be uh, of of critical use in a in a bigger trade as it was to get uh, James Harden. Um, uh, as much as I love Patrick Beverly, he's no Kyle Lowry as far as being a two way player uh, like Kyle is. Um, I would hope that uh, Beverly, while I'm sure no no player is competitive as, as he is, uh, wants to go back to the bench. That uh, you know, that I don't think he'll have a, a huge shortage in playing time. He'll still be a critical piece of the puzzle. Um, that he would be accepting of, of of Kyle Lowry coming in. And then as far as the the the, the midnight July first visit, I mean, I, I think while Daryl and, and Kevin McHale certainly want to make Lowry feel like he's a high priority guy. If if they had a meeting lined up with Carmelo Anthony for midnight July one, they'd be meeting with Carmelo Anthony midnight July one. Well, I should point out that uh, Lowry had a career year last year, 18 points a game. That was a career high. He shot 38 percent from three point range as well, also a career high, uh, and 7.4 assists as well, also a career high. So. Um, Obviously, he you know, had a, a great year in a contract year. I, you know, I wonder about the possibility of a Lynn plus significant asset for Lowry um, sign and trade, simply because Toronto is a a huge market for Lynn. I mean, I still remember that three point three pointer he hit with the Knicks to win it, uh, and the crowd reaction. You would have thought that uh, that was um, pretty much Lynn's home crowd. Uh, I could see Toronto as a home for him, but uh, obviously Toronto's GM, very shrewd. He's not going to make a deal like that, sending out uh, arguably his best player last year for somebody that has such a large contract that on a one-year deal. I would think that he'd have to get something significant because obviously he just made a deal for Lou Williams and, and acquired an asset in order to take on that salary. Yeah, and I, and I, I think you know, Masayu here is one of the best GMs in the league. Uh, you know he's not going to get you know, totally taken to the cleaners on any kind of trade. Uh, the the good news is is with the Oshik trade, um, the Rockets are in a position even with Lynn still on the books to open up about nine million dollars in cap room, and, and I'm talking Lynn and even maybe a couple other players that they would otherwise maybe need to clear out for to sign someone like Carmelo, but. Um, they could potentially be in a position to clear enough room to sign a guy like Kyle Lowry. Maybe not to quite the contract that uh, Toronto's offering, but he might be willing to take a, a few million dollars less over the life of a deal to play with, frankly, a, a better team and a title contender in Houston. Um, and if the Rockets can line something up with Kyle, where he where the, the Rockets are in position to flat-out sign him and the, and the Raptors lose him for nothing, uh, at that point the Rockets would gain a lot of leverage in trading with the Raptors. And if the Raptors did value Jeremy Lennon, I'll take two seconds to take an aside here. The playoffs left a bitter taste in everyone's mouth, um, and I think both Jeremy Lynn and James Harden came out not exactly smelling like roses, Jeremy Lin is is a, is a pretty decent NBA player who I think as a player has some value around the league. Um, at 15 million, he doesn't have a lot of value, but as a player, I think he does have value. There are teams that that would value his services and 
think he'd be a competent rotation point guard. Uh, so if you could get a team like Toronto backed into a corner where they're going to lose their guy for nothing, you might be able to sell that team on a sign-and-trade involving Jeremy Lin for for Kyle Lowry, and maybe you, you do Jeremy Lin in, in a couple picks, uh, and maybe that gets the deal done. Uh, again, Masai here, he's a very shrewd GM, not holding my breath on something like that, but at least it remains a possibility. Why has Jeremy Lin not been traded yet, in your view? Well, I mean, I, I, I think it, it, it's key. First of all, if Jeremy Lin had already been traded, I would view that as a bad thing for the Rockets. The Rockets need to keep as many options open as possible. Um, sure, with the Oshik trade, I think my guess is the reason the Oshik trade happened when it did, or that the teams agreed in principle the night before the draft is, uh, you know, there, there was news that the, the Pelicans were looking to trade their way into the first round of the draft. And my my guess would be if the the Oshik trade had not been agreed to, New Orleans maybe would have traded their 2015 pick for a 2014 first-round pick. So my guess is that's why the, the Rockets had to pull the trigger on an Oshik trade the night before the draft. Um, but otherwise, they might not have traded Oshik yet. Uh, they they want to keep at least one of the Oshik or Lynn contracts on the books in the beginning of July because it allows them to either um, position themselves to later trade those contracts in clear cap room or to keep them on the books and operate above the cap. Um, for instance, you could include the, the other con- you can include Jeremy Lin's contract for salary matching purposes in a Kevin Love trade, in a sign-in trade for another free agent like you know Kyle Lowry, um, or you could just keep it on the books for a future trade, or to have Jeremy play on the team next year. Um, but it allows you to operate above the cap. You get all your salary cap exceptions. Uh, you can keep uh, a trade exception for Omer Oshik. Uh, it really allows the Rockets to maximize their avenues to improve the team. Um, and as there have been reports that the Rockets have one or more deals that they could do to trade Jeremy Lin, um, but to actually do it now would be a disservice to the team and their ability to plan to go a variety of directions. I appreciate that insight, but I'm just thinking how unlikely it would be that he's even back with this team. I mean, here they are not only needing cap room, but also pursuing Kyle Lowry. I mean, it sends such a strong message that, you know, they're, they're certainly operating as if he's not even here. Um, While I think Jeremy's return to the Rockets is not probable. I mean, I think the the odds are that they're going to move him just because the, the variety of scenarios they have that could play out most of them involve Jeremy being moved to another team. There are there are certain scenarios where the Rockets could strike out in a bunch of different avenues, and I think rather than getting rid of Jeremy's contract, they might want to bring him back. If for no other reason than if they just get rid of Oshik and Lynn, re-sign Parsons to a big deal, and do nothing else. That assuming the Rockets are building around a core, like a core core of Harden, Howard, and Parsons, if you don't have Oshik's or Lynn's contracts, you have, it will be very, very difficult to make trades for big money players going forward because you just literally don't have the contracts to make salaries match. 
So there would be some scenarios, and again, it would be kind of a, a fallback, 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 where you might need Lynn's contract just to make a future trade even feasible. Now, there, there's ways to get around it. You might, you know, you could see worst case scenario, um, the Rockets move Lynn for someone else's expiring hefty contract. And then in a few months, they could then flip that contract in another trade. You could see them sign someone to the full mid-level exception, and hopefully that contract's big enough to then flip in a trade a few months down the road. But the fact that Lynn's contract is the size that it is, and that now that Oshik's gone, his is the last non-core piece that has a sizable enough contract. If they can't get something significant done this summer, there are some scenarios where they might have to bring him back. But again, at the end of the day, it's it's probable that he's going to move on. You know, we talk about the major options, uh, LeBron, Carmelo, Love, uh, even Lowry. But I think what I get asked a lot uh, by fans is, you know, what happens if we strike out on all three or kind of almost setting themselves up for failure? Oh, you know, if we fall short of LeBron, oh, what happens then? That kind of thing. What are some of the fallback options if the Rockets don't get one of the big three? Lowry goes back to Toronto. Um, you know, some of the obvious bigger names, uh, Bosch as well, just go somewhere else or stay with their current teams. What are some of the things you see out there as far as possibilities for the Rockets, given their flexibility right now? Well, um, that's a great question. The, um, I, again, and this is part of the reason why you haven't seen a Jeremy Lin trade yet, is the Rockets are keeping all their options open, realizing that, you know, quite frankly, the odds of any one of those major names coming to Houston is not 50% or greater. The odds are as to each one of those possibilities that, that it doesn't work out. Now, we certainly hope that one of them works out. You kind of buy enough lottery tickets, you hope you, you, hope you cash in on one of them. But if, if the Rockets completely strike out on the big names, they, are still, they still have a lot of weapons at their disposal. First of all, you know, this is a 54-win team, and while you're losing Oshik's production, which is a hit, you still have a very young core. Everybody is not even really in their prime, maybe except for Dwight, and he's only 28, I think. Um, that You're going to get individual improvement. So that even if you do nothing, I think you're going to see improvement because they'll get someone to, to, to replace a good portion of Oshik's productivity, but some of the other weapons they have at their disposal, if um, the Oshik trade goes through and it's not somehow uh, rolled in, and by the way, this is, a, a, you know, we're, sca- we're skipping all over the place. I'll, I will mention this one aside. There is still time if the Rocks could line up a Kevin Love trade or some other big blockbuster trade to roll the Oshik to New Orleans trade into that one and make it a three-team trade, and you can then use Oshik's salary for matching purposes. So, if, for instance, you were going to trade for Kevin Love. If you just rolled New Orleans into that trade as a three-team deal, Oshik will count as outgoing salary, and you can really you could get Kevin Love without really including Jeremy Lin's contract, without including Chandler Parsons in the sign-in trade. You can do something like Jones and Demo and a couple picks. Uh, not that Minnesota would necessarily take that offer, but it makes it work under the cap. So that that's a possibility. But uh, but assume for a moment that Asha trade is an isolated trade. That is going to generate 
a trade exception in the amount of Oshik's cap number, which is about $8.4 million. So if the Rockets don't do any cap moves, they don't uh, clear the cap to sign a major free agent, you have an $8.4 million trade exception for the next year that you can use at any time you want to acquire one or more players via trade who make up to $8.4 million. So that's a, that's a nice asset to be holding. Uh, the Denver Nuggets had a similar size trade exception. They just used that to acquire Aaron Aflalo for Evan Fournier and the 56th pick of the draft. So that trade exception really can, can be valuable. Uh, the Rockets will have their full mid-level exception, which is $5.3 million. You can sign a, a vet up to a four-year deal. And if they wait for the, the top names to go off the board and maybe a couple guys get overpaid, you wait for that second wave of free agency, you might be able to get a really good player to come take a little bit of a discount and play for the full mid-level exception. You also have the, the biannual exception, which is about $2.1 million. Sign another guy, maybe a young vet, take a little pay cut or maybe a little bit extra, uh, sign them to a deal. You can keep all your young players because a lot of the scenarios that involve getting Carmelo Anthony, you might have to waive a guy like Troy Daniels or Robert Covington, or you might have to dump Isaiah Cannon on another team. You might have to dump Demo on another team. You can keep all those guys. And on top of all of these things, you still have that New Orleans pick that you can use in a trade. You could always package Lynn, the New Orleans pick, a couple other picks, and Terrence Jones, and you can make a huge trade in December or in February. So the, the Rockets have a ton of options at their disposal. And these are like worst-case options. So you're talking about the majority of a 54-win team core coming back plus all these things. The Rockets are in phenomenal shape to get significantly better as a worst-case scenario. It's good to hear that optimism. And I agree with you. I think uh, I'm very optimistic about them being able to add to this core. And I, I kind of look at the core as really four guys. Uh, that would be Beverly Parsons. Harden and Howard, uh, Terrence Jones. I would. I, I think he's an interesting player for this team. I'm just not sure he's uh, long for the team when the power forward is the obvious area of, of improvement, if you will. Although um, if Flip Saunders is listening to this podcast, Terrence Jones is a highly, highly valuable player who any team would want to trade their star for. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, uh, I also want to ask, uh, talk to you a little bit about Chandler Parsons' contract. I mean, you've been all over this thing uh, for, I guess, about two years now. Um, you know, I found out about uh, how, you know, about the fact that he could be a restricted free agent or unrestricted free agent in 2015 based on your analysis. And you've been writing about this contract, um, like I said, for for over a year. So I just want to get your thoughts on the fact that the Rockets actually did uh, not pick up the, the option for the final year. Um, we're already getting uh, word, you know, reports from, from Adrian Wojnarowski that Dallas, if they fall short in Carmelo, is going to make a big push for Chandler Parsons. Uh, there's probably a handful of teams as well with cap room that will be interested. Uh, I mean, do the Rockets shoot themselves in the foot here? Do you think they kind of went in with Chandler to say, hey, look, here's what we're doing. We're trying to add a significant player, and we will take care of you after this is done, what's your, what are your thoughts on the fact that the Rockets actually did do this, pushed him into restricted free agency a year early, and, and basically let a season go where he would have made less than a million dollars that year? Well, I mean, this is a this is a rare and very interesting 
situation, uh, I think rarely you have a second-round pick be as productive as this, let alone a second-round pick on a contract like his, which is very unusual in that it had some partial guarantees and some, uh, and then a team option, a fourth-year team option on a second-round pick um, contract. So the circumstances giving rise to this are highly unusual, so there isn't a lot of precedent for this. I know some point to, to Carlos Boozer with the Cavs, and that did not end very well for Cleveland, although uh, the Gilbert Arenas rule wasn't in place at that time, I don't believe, and there were certain other circumstances in place. Uh, I don't think the Cavs had full bird rights, so that, that's why they lost into Utah. But it, it's quite possible that Chandler Parsons will get an offer so lucrative this summer that in total dollars he will make more than he would have made if the Rockets just exercised his option and then just gave him the max next summer. Uh, now, there are certain luxury tax uh, implications there where if you can get him a little bit, a couple million below the max over the long haul that you might save in luxury taxes, but I won't bore everyone with the calculus there. But he's going to get some significant offers, and I think the Rockets are hoping that he, A, gives the Rockets time to get their other ducks in a row because they're certainly going to need to line some other things up before Chandler Parsons signs an offer sheet. The second he signs an offer sheet with another team, his cap hold goes from uh, it's basically a little below $2.9 million, uh, right now. It'll balloon up to whatever his starting salary is, and it'll basically just kill the Rockets' chances of clearing cap room. Uh, so I think they're they're hoping and are probably optimistic for good reason that the channel will give them some time to get their ducks in a row. And then also that, that perhaps he gives the Rockets a discount in appreciation for, frankly, being gratuitously left let out of a contract that was going to pay him peanuts compared to what he's worth on the open market. So, um, you know, the Rocket fan in me is hoping he gives a substantial discount to the Rockets. Uh, the realists in me says that uh, Dan Fagan's his agent. Uh, he does right by his clients and gets them paid, and he's going to do that with Chandler. And I would imagine that... Uh, there were many discussions between Daryl Morey and Dan Fagan about um, all the good Chandler's done and, and his active role in recruiting Dwight Howard and how the Rockets need to compensate him for, for his uh, service to the Rockets both on and off the court. So uh, this is going to be really, really interesting to see. And as you mentioned, teams like Dallas are, are trying to be predatory here. I I would say if we're if all owners and GMs were being honest with themselves with each other right now, there's got to be at least half a dozen teams in the league willing to make an, a huge offer to Parsons, knowing the Rockets will match, just to essentially troll Daryl Morey and uh, and and try to screw the Rockets out of whatever whatever other moves they're trying to make. And I think the rivalry uh, between Dallas and Houston is, is getting more intense. I mean, at least as far as management and ownership, uh, you know, obviously Houston beat out Dallas last year to get Dwight Howard. I think that probably, uh, again, I'm just speculating here, but probably bruised Mark Cuban's ego a little bit in that Houston took a step ahead of Dallas. Um, and that hadn't happened in, in a long time. Um, so I think, probably bothered him that Houston took that step forward. You've got the Gerson Roses angle. Uh, you know, they, they, they uh, hire him as a GM. He comes back here to Houston. Um, and now they're both going after Carmelo. I, I just, 
I get the sense that there's a real, I don't want to say bitter, but, uh, you know, a, a heated rivalry between these two uh, teams. And it, it will be interesting if that rivalry manifests itself in a lucrative offer for Chandler Parsons. Yeah, I would definitely describe Daryl Morey and Mark Cuban as frenemies. <laughs> yeah, oh, definitely. And, and, you know, you see the, the, the little digs as well at McHale. I mean, I, I didn't think it was that big of a deal, but just, you know, in saying that no one else can compete with, uh, you know, Rick Carlisle, which I, I could I could understand, but I think he's – they're certainly talking up the Dallas angle. And this is, in my opinion, this is their last stand. I mean, Dirk's got a year or two, maybe a few years left. And they've got to add that next significant player and keep uh, keep hope alive, I guess, in Dallas because I think that team is <clears throat> heading down. I mean, it's it's got some some older players, so uh, you know this is, in my opinion, their their big hope here is to be able to land a Carmelo or a LeBron and 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 be able to move forward. I uh, want to talk to you real quickly about the draft. Um, obviously, they they picked up Clint Capella with the 25th pick. Um, I think that was. This draft in general, I think, was a little bit predictable. They they used the 25th pick on somebody who wouldn't uh, count against the cap, or at least they hope not. Capella seems to want to be able to play here in Houston this year. The Rockets certainly want to stash him uh, if he's not traded in the next um, month. And they used the 42nd pick on a guy they hope um, can play right away, somebody a non-guaranteed contract in Nick Johnson out of Arizona. Um, and then they acquired the 53rd pick, as we mentioned, for, for Gentile. Um I liked what they did. I like the potential of Capella. I like the fact that they're going to be able to use him, uh, you know, watch him develop. I, his length is something I think that uh, this team's missing, um, out of, certainly out of the power forward position. Um, and I'm, I'm really liking the Nick Johnson pick. I'm not, I'm not sure how he's going to, to play right away, but uh, I just think his strengths fit the team very well. His weakness, which is really probably why he dropped, which is size. Uh, for his position and, and not really, um, you know, being a traditional two, more built like a point guard but plays like a two guard, uh, is not as is not a big deal here here in Houston when he's playing alongside a guy like James Harden who plays more of a point guard. Uh, this is a guy who's very athletic, um, plays hard nosed defense, um, something that I think that they've lacked um, out of the guard position outside of Beverly. So uh, I liked what they did in this draft. Uh, me too, and, and, and I'll be quite honest, and I'm, I'm a little bit ashamed um, for a player as as notable, a college player as notable as Nick Johnson. Um, he was not really on my radar. Um, I try to follow college basketball from from the perspective of NBA draft prospects, and and knowing that Arizona was a loaded college team, excellent college team, and that Aaron Gordon was their big. NBA prospect, and I always knew the the book on on Nick Johnson was uh, well, he's probably their best player on best college player, but he's an undersized two guard, and and we see countless undersized two guards dominate college ball and then just fall by the wayside, and they don't really make it in the NBA. And I I just hadn't followed Nick Johnson closely enough, and I did not know the caliber of defender that he was. And if I if I had known that he was such an fantastic defensive player he probably would have registered more on my radar but it, it, exactly what you say that the nick johnson maybe wouldn't be the best fit for a lot of nba teams due to his size but because the rockets have james harden and he is the de facto point guard um an undersized shooting guard with athleticism fantastic defensive skills and a good shot is going to be a valuable contributor playing on a team with james harden 
So I, I am excited about the Nick Johnson pick, uh, albeit it was, was not one I saw coming. Um, like I said, Capella, I think, is a great draft and stash pick. Um, you know, very high upside guy. Again, I'm not overly familiar with his game other than what I see on Draft Express and sites like that. Uh, but looks like a, a high upside pick who can either be a significant contributor in a couple of years or maybe is a significant trade asset. You know, sad, sadly, the, in the Maury era, this is how we view a lot of our graphics. But uh, nevertheless, he could he could help the, the Rockets in a variety of ways. Um, and then on the Alessandro Gentile, I, I really like what I saw. I, I only knew a little bit about him from – from looking on draft websites, uh, and knew he was a, one of the better players, uh, young players over in Europe, um, and was excited to see him just win the Italian League Championship at 22 years old, be the MVP. Uh, Daryl seems to be very excited about him, and and one thing Daryl always makes sure to mention, and I like to mention it as well, is you know the acquisition of the the rights to Gentile. Credit to Les Alexander. They had the $1.5 or so million dollars left in cash to use before the end of the year. Well, I'm not sure they spent every penny of that on that pick. They knew it was use it or lose it on the cash. Uh, Les Alexander could have just as easily pocketed the money. But no, he saw a guy, Daryl and his staff found a guy they really liked. Went, you know, and, and Les Alexander gives them the freedom and the ability to to, to go spend cash to, to get draft rights. So credit to Les Alexander, and uh, if Gentile turns out to be be a real find, then then that, that goes along in a list of several other purchase, draft rights purchase players that you really have to give a thumbs up to Les Alexander for. You know, and I just want to point out, I <clears throat> I get asked quite a bit, uh, you know, will Yule come over, will Papa Niccolo come over, uh, Gentile? Um, you know, I I, I – I've asked these questions multiple times. I'm curious myself, but I can promise you, and this is uh, you know spot on information. The Rockets themselves don't even know that. Check, let's check back in a month after you know we know what uh, is going to happen because these guys right now, all four of those, their four best um, overseas prospects, international guys, um, are all trade assets right now, and, and we don't know what's going to end up happening in, in moves. Um, and so, you know, I know that that they're. Uh, you know, Yule, Papa Nicolau, uh, Gentile, they all consider those guys ready, to, those three to, ready to come over, uh, contribute to the NBA right now. I think Yule is probably your best um, as far as really impacting this team. They'd love to get him over here, um, but there's just d- different things that make it a little bit more complicated. He he has wanted to win the EuroLeague. They've lost in the finals in the last two years um, and kind of wants to have a, a security in knowing what his role would be here. Uh, in Houston, and I, so I don't know if, when, ever he will come over, but um, I, I think they're they don't know quite yet which one of these guys is going to be on the team. You know who they'll, whose rights they'll still own after this trade and free agency period. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. David, thank you so much. I know this is a uh, an exciting time for all of us as Rocket fans. I mean, this is just uh, really for NBA fans in general. Free agency is just a, a fun. Uh, stretch for the NBA and, and we've got the summer league coming up um, possibility we'll be going to Vegas but you know I, uh, I really appreciate you breaking down all these scenarios there's so many crazy possibilities I think for the Rockets right now in in, in the direction they can go whether it's free agency trade um, 
and I, and I appreciate you giving your insight uh, on the cap and, and breaking down all the different possibilities for us. Well, it's my pleasure, Dave, and I'm uh, just happy to be back on the podcast with you. Got to give the people what they want, more podcasts, man. <laughs> we will do it. Uh, like I said, it, and I know it gets uh, sometimes infrequent, but uh, we will definitely pick up at the right time. So, again, man, as always, it's a pleasure to have you on. My pleasure. Take care, Dave. <laughs>